Hi, this is Gary Washburn, pastor of Grace Tabernacle. Thank you for tuning to our podcast today. Our hope is that this message inspires you and builds your faith. For more information about Grace Tabernacle and our ministries, please go to gracetab.org and like us on Facebook. Now, may the message feed your soul. Amen. I, I want to move into the Word today in Heaven is My Home series. And uh, what a great backdrop. Thank you, Jenny and Brian and, and Mel and Debbie Poritz for putting that together. That is just awesome. I tell you, well, I look forward to climbing those stairs. That's an awesome, awesome thing. Somebody said earlier, I forget who said it, said, uh, Pat, oh, Connie said, Pastor Gary's preaching on heaven like... Um, you know, we're supposed to get excited. I thought she said excited about him dying. I thought, wait, wait, would you get a word or something? I mean, I'm excited about going to heaven, but I don't want to get on the next bus right now. I've got things to do. So today we're looking at part five of the message of where is the world headed? Where's the world headed? People want to know the future. People uh, can know the future to some degree. Uh, we don't know the day or the hour uh, of specifics uh, of certain things, but we have, uh, we have God's pattern. We see God's plan, his program. It's in the word of God, and uh, it tells us about things to come, but um, without necessary, necessarily picking specific dates. So some of the things I mentioned to you today about the future, things that are coming that are declared in the Bible, uh, you may disagree with the timing and all that. I'm not trying to put out a timeline and say it's going to happen here and this is going to be next and so forth like that. I think there's room to be flexible uh, as far as when those kind of things are going to happen. But we can be sure of the events that are coming because the Bible makes that very, very clear. The Bible is a book of 66 books, but it's really one story. It's God's story. It's all about him. If you read the Bible and you don't, you don't get to know the Lord, then you've missed the whole point of the book. The book is about him. And in the, in, the, uh, in the Bible, you see God begins to deal with individuals in the very beginning. You know, Adam and Noah and Abraham and things like that. And he made covenants with them. God's a covenant-keeping God. He makes covenants not because he has to, but because he wants us to trust his word. A covenant is a promise that, that you make, and God makes promises. He's a promise-making God, and the relationship he wants with you and I is that we trust him when he promises something, and we don't get into our own understanding. That's where I get mixed up. When I try to figure out how God's going to do something, and I get discouraged or get depressed because it hasn't turned out like I thought it was going to turn out in my mind, that's where I get into trouble. And lately, part of my morning ritual of prayer is I tell God, God, I love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, and my neighbors, myself. And that's my goal today. That's where I'm going. And also, God, I trust you with all my heart, and I'm not going to lean into my own understanding. So that's where I'm going, and, it, and, and that's going to keep me from being double-minded. I get double-minded when I start getting concerned about what people think. And start trying to please people. It's an easy thing to do for a pastor. And it's a deadly thing to do for a church. You've got to be spirit-led. You've got to love God more than you love anybody else. If you please God and you displease everybody else, who cares? But if you displease God and you please everybody else, you've lost. 
So there were many covenants we see at the beginning. God made covenants with Adam and Abraham and Noah and, and, and all these different people, Isaac and Jacob. He made covenants with them. He's a covenant-keeping God. But when you come to the New Covenant, the New Testament, there's only one covenant. Let me ask you a trivia question. Be careful how you answer. Where does the Old Testament end and the New Testament begin? I heard at the cross. A lot of people say Matthew and Malachi, because that's the record of the Old Testament and the New Testament. But remember, the night before Jesus was betrayed, he had communion. And on that particular night, he had communion with his disciples. And he, when he picked up the cup, he said to them, this is the new covenant in my blood. It was a blood covenant, and it is a blood covenant. And he said, I'm not going to have this anymore with you until we meet together in heaven. So the new covenant, he was give, telling them, this is the new covenant. Now, guys, you know, you're moving into the new covenant. And the next day, less than 24 hours, Jesus said on the cross, his last words, it is finished. His first appearance after resurrection, he appeared to the disciples and he breathed on them. <laughs> Receive the Holy Spirit. So all of that was when the New Testament began. So you see, Jesus was born and he lived most of his life under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament law. But it began when the Spirit was given to indwell men. Let me show you what difference the cross makes. Now, we usually have a cross back there, but the, the, the backdrop is covering that. So if you can imagine the cross is here, and I'm standing on this side of the cross. The cross is what makes all the difference. It changes everything in history. But there were some things that stopped at the cross. We no longer give sacrifices. We come to the cross. We don't give sacrifice because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. We, we don't have the tabernacle to go to anymore. We are the tabernacle when we're born again of the Spirit of God. And we don't keep the law to be tried to be justified and righteous with God anymore. That's on this side of the cross. Okay. But there were some things that began at the cross. So here's the cross. Something stopped at the cross. Come over here. Something started at the cross, the church family. We didn't have the church until after the cross. The church is born again people, spirit filled, Jews and Gentiles. Not longer than just the children of Israel, but now the church began. We're in the church age, being spirit led. We're spirit led people. Sonship. Over here, you were servants of God. Now you're sons of God. Joint heirs with Christ. That wasn't over here. So after the cross, this began. Things, new things started at the cross. Now there's some things that were over here under the old covenant that actually went through the cross. And they were transformed. Like obedience. We, had to be, we need to be obedient to God over here. But over here, God expects obedience too by faith. God expects faith. He expected faith over here. He expects now faith over here. 
But then there were some things that were absolutely transformed, changed at the cross. The Ten Commandments are still the Ten Commandments. is still the Word of God, but it's changed from the letter of the law to the spirit of the law. See, Jesus said over here, he said, You have heard that it was said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Oh, yeah, yeah. All the Pharisees raised their hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we know that. We haven't done that. But then Jesus said, But I say unto you, that if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. See, he changed it from the letter of the law to the spirit of the law. If you have, you've heard that, that, you know, thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you that if you're angry with your brother without cause, you've already murdered him in your heart. You see the transformation. Something's changed. So the curse of the law, we're no longer under a curse. If someone tells you you're under a curse, that's not true. Jesus became the curse. All the curses from failing at the law, he took in his body on the cross. You cannot be cursed today. But you can be chastised by the Lord. God chastens his children. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be weary of his correction. God loves you. He corrects you. But he doesn't curse you. There's chastisement. Ask me how I know. I thank God for chastisement. I thank God for correction. I need correction. So it's a loving correction, usually just through his word, but then he's got other ways to do that as well. So everything was changed. And tithing, for example, people say, we're under the new covenant, we don't tithe, tithing's Old Testament. No, you're wrong. Tithing went through the cross. It was transformed from, from a commandment to a kingdom principle. We get to tithe. And God gets to prove to us that, hey, I'm, I'm your provider. You can't outgive me. So everything's changed. See, the cross made that difference. That's important to understand. So now we live in the church age, the age of grace. But it's not going to be forever. Jesus says one of the things that's going to happen to the church, and we don't know exactly when it's going to happen, is Jesus himself will rapture the church. From the earth. Jesus will rapture himself from, rapture us from the church. Rapture is not in the Bible. It's not a word in the Bible, but neither is automobile, but you use that, right? It's a word that means to snatch away. And the scripture for that is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. The Lord himself will do this. He'll come down from heaven with a loud command. He'll be in the air. He won't come on the earth. And with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who are already with the Lord are going to experience a physical resurrection like Jesus. Right now, those in heaven have a temporary heavenly body because the spirit and soul need a body. But there's going to be an actual resurrection of your physical body. So you have a physical body like Jesus. If you want to know more about that, look at last week's sermon. We talked about the body of your resurrected body, what it's going to be like. After that, we who are alive and are left are caught up together with the Lord, them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we ever be forever with the Lord. For those of you who hate flying, I'm not going to mention anybody's names, but her initials are Pam Washburn, just, you won't have any fear of flying. You won't have any fear of flying. It's going to be absolutely awesome. Now, number two, while that's going on, 
and the rapture is taking place, and the saints, the believers, are gone up in the Lord in the air to meet the Lord in the air, and they're changed instantly. There's going to be tribulation on the earth. The seven-year tribulation begins. The first three and a half years are trouble, but it's not a great trouble. The last three and a half years is called the great tribulation. But there will be tribulation on earth, but there will be celebration in heaven. Hallelujah. It's going to be a party like you've never, ever seen before. And it's going to be awesome. And so there'll be trouble here on the earth. Uh, The Antichrist will rise up. He will be a man that's empowered by Satan. Uh, The world will gravitate quickly toward a one-world government. There will be a one-world religion. All this junk going around now about tolerance and how you got to put up with everything and and everything you speak against somebody, it's considered a hate crime, and all that junk is all just fuel for the one-world government that's coming, the one-world religion, and all of that. And there is a great persecution that's coming to uh, the church, even though the church will be snatched away. There'll be people that get saved during that tribulation period. It'll be more difficult. There'll be a lot of martyrs for the faith during that tribulation period here on earth. And much of those who are born again during the tribulation on earth, they'll go underground out of necessity. They'll go in secret, so to speak. So there'll be celebration in heaven. And this celebration in heaven is called the judgment seat of Christ. Hmm, you didn't sound excited about that. Because you already have a preconceived idea about judgment. And this is not what you're thinking. This judgment of Christ is not a judgment of shame. It's not a judgment for your sins you've done. It's not a judgment for the bad things you've done. If you're a believer, that was taken care of on the cross. This judgment seat of Christ is going to be the giving out of rewards. Now you ought to change your, your whole tune, your whole demeanor. When I say it's going to be a celebration, it's going to be the judgment seat of Christ. You ought to go, yeah, You know, when Paul wrote about this, he had the understanding back then they had these things called the Isthium Games or something like that. And there was a precursor to the Olympics. And whenever, uh, you know, someone run a race or they do some kind of feat and the crowd would cheer, the winners would be brought before someone who was on what was called a Bema seat, a seat that's raised up higher. And this person would present them with rewards. You were first place, second place, third place. And that's the idea. It was giving out of rewards. And so this celebration in heaven is the judgment seat of Christ for believers. Look at the scriptures. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's that Bema seat. He's up here. He's going to give out rewards to you. He's seen everything that you've done that other people haven't seen. There are going to be people in heaven uh, that are very popular that no one down here on earth knows anything about. People who serve behind the scenes. People who give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. People who help out the homeless and the poor. And they never get applauded. The church never recognizes them. They don't get any accolades. But they're, they're going to be very popular in heaven. They're going to say, wow, you did all that and the Lord's going to bring all that out and he says so that we can receive what is due God's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him the Bible says you can't outgive God I don't care what you do if you do it in his name and your motive of your heart is right God has a blessing for you you may not get it all here and now don't worry about that 
You got it coming. God is going to bless you so we can receive things done in our body while we're on earth. Whether good, having lasting value, or bad just simply means worthless. doesn't mean sinful. It means you, you did something, but maybe you did it to be seen. You did it so everybody could look at you. You did it, you did it so that you could get some attention. And God says that's worthless. You, you, you got your reward. You got what you wanted. So think about this. Whenever your birthday comes, you got 525,600 minutes in a year. So my clock is ticking. So is yours. That's a gift from God. What are you going to do with it? You have a choice. You're going to do it. It's a gift from God. What do you, get? you get to do something that's going to have eternal value. Think about that. Do you just want temporary value? Just, is all you're living for is just like now, is your reward now and the good life now? Or do you want to live with, with eternal rewards in mind? I mean for eternity. Your place, the authority that you're going to be given. You're going to be ruling the universe with angels. God says we're going to actually judge angels. I don't know how all that's going to work. I have, I have no real idea how that's going to work. But while we're here, right now is a critical time in your life. Amen. What, how much time do you have left? You don't know. But you have health today that you may not have in the future. I pray that you do. But your life, the clock is ticking and, and you're building materials with your life. Your words are either building or destroying. Your actions are building or they're destroying. Your motivation to God is critical. Only God knows the heart of somebody. Only God. My wife said something to me yesterday that I, I just can't get away from. It's it beautiful. She said, she, she said, you know, and I don't remember exactly how you said it, but we, we just cannot judge anybody. Remember how you said that? We just can't judge anybody because we don't know. We don't know the thoughts of their heart. Mm-mm. Only God can do that. Yeah. And so we're going to be very careful the rest of our life not to judge anybody. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have an opinion, but, but not to cast judgment as if, you know, that person's hopeless. Oh, they'll never make it. Nah, that's, that's, that's foolish talk. So you're building materials right now. You know, works done out of pride or wrong motives are like wood, hay, and stubble. They're going to be burned up. They're not, they're, the fire of God's going to come, and everything that's precious and eternal and of God will go through the fire. But everything that is not of God will be burned up like wood, hay, or stubble when it's thrown into the fire. So our works are going to be examined by the fire of God. Martin Luther, the great reformer, born on your birthday. He said, uh, well, he didn't be born on your birthday, but he, the Reformation started on your birthday. And... He said, there's only two days on my calendar, and that is today and that day. (laughs) To keep that in mind. 
There's a day coming where I'm going to stand before the Bema seat of Christ and he's going to look down at me and, and, and knowing the, all the motivations of my heart, why I did what I did, he's going to look at that and he's going to pour out blessings on the things that were of God and that pleased him. And Paul said it this way, if what has been built with your life survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping the flames. And here's a sad, sad thought, and I'm speaking to maybe some people in this room that really need to heed this. Many Christians will realize, though they knew Christ, they lived for the wrong things. I got news for you. Here's good news. It's not too late to change. You're still here. You still have purpose. You know, you've maybe had great trauma in your life and great hurt and great disappointment and great uh, pain to go through, but you're still here. You can make a difference with what you have left. It is vital that you understand that. So start today thinking with eternal eyes and seeing things that will please God and get your ministry going. Number three thing is going to happen in heaven. There's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. Look at this in Revelation 19. Hallelujah! For the Lord God Almighty reigns. And for the wedding of the Lamb has come. And His bride has made herself ready. And blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. That is going to be awesome. We're going to be there, folks. We're going to be there. It's going to be awesome when the church is brought before Jesus and said, Jesus, this is who you died for. This is your bride. That's why he tells the husbands, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. You know, nobody, God first, nobody should come before, if you're a married person, your husband, your wife should be number two. Thank you for that applause. You guys just missed a huge point to say, yes! I'm trying to help you. I was leading you real slow. That's true. So some of you have blended marriages and you have children in your life and you had your children and she has your, her children and, and then you come together and these are hers and these are yours and sometimes the kids can play on you and try to you know, get you to side with them and go against her or side with her and go against him. We've seen it all over the years. But if you want to align with God and you want God's blessing on your life, God's number one. Number two is your spouse. Husbands and wives, your spouse comes in. Your children, whether grown or still in a home, they do not come before your spouse. You would stop a lot of chaos in your life. You would stop a lot of aggravation and turmoil and fighting and arguing if you would just make that determination. That's God's order. When you line up with God's order and you agree with his word, you get the blessing on your life. But when you go against God's order, you've got all kinds of hell come against you. So that's free. There's no charge for that. I give you that. Number four, the second coming of Christ is coming to this earth. This earth will actually see Jesus. I saw heaven open and there was a rider on a white horse. And he who sat upon it is called faithful and true. 
If he says something, he does it. His word is true. And in righteousness, he judges. He's the only one that can judge righteously. And he wages war. God's a God of justice. There is a judgment day coming. And I don't know why the church is afraid to warn people of that. There is a judgment day coming. God's a God of justice. And now the world has a philosophy that is trying to be taught in schools and in colleges and all that stuff. And basically, the, the, the worldly philosophy, the Antichrist philosophy is this. Is that really, really, the heart of man is basically good. If you just give him enlightenment, if you just give him enough money, then the heart of man is basically good. That's the world's philosophy. And God says, no, there's nothing right about the human heart. It's a fallen heart. It's a sinful heart. It's turned away from God. And uh, there's no amount of education or enlightenment can stop it. Only God can change the heart. And He will. And the good thing is, once you're born again, you've been given a new heart. You know, the people quote the scripture, the heart's desperately wicked and, and all that. That's the old covenant. But when you come into faith in Christ and you're born again, you've been given God's heart. Now, you still got the flesh to deal with. You got to retrain your way of thinking. But you don't have a wicked, desperate heart. Your heart knows God. Next thing is going to come is the millennial reign of Christ on the earth. And we're going to rule with Christ on this earth. Yes. We're going to rule with Christ on this earth. Look at the scripture. John said, I saw an angel having a key to the bottomless pit with a great chain in his hand. And he seized the dragon who is the devil and bound him for a thousand years. That's where you ought to shout. Hallelujah. So when the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future, right? Priest of God and of Christ shall reign with Jesus a thousand years. That's an incredible study. If you've ever studied the millennial, there's so much I don't understand it. But for a thousand years, this is literal. Some people try to say it's just spiritual, it's not literal. No, it's literal. Jesus is physically going to return to the earth as King of kings, Lord of lords. But for a thousand years, now think about it, a thousand years, and he's going to rule from Jerusalem. That is his headquarters. That is the center of the earth. That is the, his city. It's the only city in the Bible where God calls Jerusalem his, his city. He's going to rule from Jerusalem. And for a thousand years, there's going to be perfect government. Perfect. There's not going to be any devil out there to tempt people to do evil. People are going to live long, 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 long lives and there's going to be perfect order and perfect living and perfect peace. It's going to be perfect government. But you've got to think about this. A thousand years, there are children still being born. So there's another generation, another generation, and another generation, and another generation, and another generation. So people are being born, and this is all they've ever known. Jesus is the king of the earth. His government is, is established on the earth. We rule with him over all of the earth. It is an incredible time of peace and prosperity. The lion lays down with the lamb. I mean, the, the child can lay by the cobra hole and the, and, the, and, the, and the cobra won't hurt anybody. I mean, this is the millennia. It's going to be like it was intended in the Garden of Eden. It's going to be for a thousand years. And you would think that, wow, once you see and experience that, who would want to rebel against that? Who 
would want to say, we don't want him to rule over us. But there are going to be people who actually rise up that grew up in this and say, no, no, we don't want Jesus to rule over us. Because what's going to happen is after a thousand years, God has already predetermined he's going to release Satan. The scripture says this in Revelation 20, verse 7. Satan will be set free to deceive the nations. You say, why would a God who loves people do this? Because love has to have a choice. Love cannot command you to do something if you don't have any free will. God gives you the free will to choose. You can either choose to receive Jesus or reject Jesus. That's what love does. And so he's going to be released, Satan's going to be released to deceive the nations. It says Gog and Magog. We'll talk about that in a moment. To gather them for battle. Their number is as the sands of the sea, millions of people. They surrounded the beloved city, which is Jerusalem. We call it the Battle of Armageddon, but it ain't no battle because it's over with just like that. But fire came down from God and devoured them. Poof, they're gone. They were given the opportunity. They had a thousand years of reigning with Christ in a perfect government, perfect place, perfect peace, perfect health, perfect blessing in every way. And yet their heart chose, we don't want this one to rule over us. And they actually were deceived by Satan to think we can rise up and overcome him. We can take over and have our own government. We can rise up and do better. We don't need God. Just what the world's saying today. It's the same thing. Let's eliminate God out of the school. Get him out of the government. We don't want any monuments about God, images about God. We don't want these Christians. They're the biggest problem in the world today. It's the fundamental Christian people. That's the evangelicals. They're the problem. Get rid of them. We'll, we'll have a great world. Oh, really? Well, you're about to find out. <laughs> the fire came down and devoured them. The devil was cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet were. And they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. Some people say hell's not forever. Oh, yeah, it is. It's forever and ever. Yeah. And he goes on to say later on that Hades and death were thrown into the lake of fire. So the place of hell that right now is in the middle of the earth, down in the middle of the earth, that one day will be thrown into something else I called a lake of fire, but it's forever and ever. It's eternal torment. Hell is forever. When he referred to Gog and Magog, a lot of mystery about those terms. Those terms actually just refer to countries that are listed in Ezekiel 38. Iran is one of them, Iraq. These are millions and millions of people. Libya, I mean, you can look at the list there and see. Some of those are old names, but if you can look them up, you can see the modern names to, to what they are. But it's millions and millions of people. And Jesus actually taught about this in, in Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the wheat and the tares. Remember, he talked about that. He said there's going to be a gathering of wheat and a gathering of tares. And, and sometimes uh, people say, who sowed these tares? When they, an enemy did this. You can read about that in Matthew 13. But, but then there's going to be the separation of the wheat from the tares. 
There will be people who do get saved during the millennium. There will be people who get saved during the tribulation. But many of them will become martyrs. Because it will cost them dearly to bear the name of Christ. We have not known anything about persecution. We just had the privilege of being with Andrew uh, and Noreen Brunson. You may remember them a few years ago. Uh, he was a hostage in, in Turkey. It became a political hostage. And, and uh, so uh, President Trump got him out. And in one day from a Turkish prison, he was flown over to uh, the White House. Can you imagine that, what that does to your brain? It's like, wow. I mean, <laughs> and then you're in the Oval Office with the president, and he got freed. It was all because God, God was merciful. It was all part of God's plan. And he wrote a great book about it called God's Hostage. I encourage you to read that book. But he said something to us that really startled me ever since uh, last week. And he said, he said, the church doesn't know it, but there's a great persecution that's coming to the church. And the church is not ready for it. The church is not ready for the persecution because he went through times of loneliness and desperation where he cried out to God. He, he was hoping, expecting to have an encounter in prison like many Muslims do when they get converted. They have, they have a vision of Jesus or Jesus shows up and, and with them and then they get gloriously saved. And he was longing for that and crying out for that, crying out for that presence of God. And he said it never happened. And he said... He was so broken, he was at the point of just giving up if it hadn't been for people praying for him. And he, and he, and he said, but God purposely brought him through that to not look for presence or tangible feeling, but hold on to promise. I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. And he said it was something that he passed a huge test by the grace of God. He came through. And now his message pretty much is to the church here in America, while he still ministers to Muslims in other countries, his message today is the church needs to get ready for persecution. Where you can trust the promises of God without having a feeling. You trust God. And you go through it. And there'll be many people... In that tri- in the, after the end of the tribulation period, the millennial period, even uh, like that, that still do not get saved. You, you imagine, how can someone be so hard-hearted? How could someone see Jesus and not believe in him? And the Bible tells us how. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, Because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. It's the same thing today. When a person hears the gospel, anytime you come under the sound of the gospel being preached or proclaimed, that is God giving you a divine appointment at that moment to hear. And your spiritual ears need to be open. And you need to hear as though God is talking to you. And he gives you the opportunity to receive the truth. But you can also reject it. And if you reject the truth, you'll believe a lie. Therefore, God will send them strong delusion. That they should believe the lie. If you reject the truth, there's only the lie. You don't believe God, then you'll believe the devil. Because he's very convincing. And finally, God will pass final judgment on Satan, angels, and the ungodly dead at the great white throne judgment. That's in the future. That's our future. It's coming. We're not going to be at the great white throne judgment. Because the great white throne judgment is for unbelievers. God is a God of justice. 
There's evil in this world that needs to be judged. There's payment that needs to be made. It's costly. Revelation 20, verse 11 says, And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat, who was seated on it, and the earth and the heavens fled from his presence. <laughs> they tried to. And there was no place for them. I saw the dead, the small and the great, standing before God. The books were opened. Books, plural. More than one. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown in the lake of fire. Here's the sad thing about this. I believe that whenever a person is born, that God writes their name in some book. Because in Revelation 3, there's a place where God says he blots out the name. And here's the sad thing. God has made propitiation or salvation for everyone. 1 John 4, 1, I think it is. Here in his love, that God loved us and sent Jesus to be the propitiation, the final, full, complete payment for our sins. And not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. He sent the payment to save the whole world most wicked person you could ever think of. Jesus is the propitiation. He sent that here in his love. But they say no. No. You know the scripture that says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. In the Bible, the word there is is in italics. It's not, they're not saying there is no God. They're saying no God for me. It's like the waiter comes up to you and says, would you like dessert? And you say, no dessert for me. You're saying, God is saying, would you like Jesus to be the propitiation for your sins? And you say, no Jesus for me. I'll handle this on my own. I don't believe like you believe. I, I, I have my own set of beliefs. God and I got our own thing going. Well, there, here's the problem. There's only one way of salvation. And it's not my way, it's God's way. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. Do you understand that? And if your way is not his way, you have no way. That's why he's called Yahweh. You're too easy. You're too easy. Last but not least, a new heaven and a new earth will begin. This is going to be awesome. This is our eternity. This is where we're looking forward to. A new heaven and a new earth will begin. God says he's going to purge the earth with fire and, and heaven with fire. I don't know how he's going to do that, but he's going to clean. it's going to be the same earth, but it's going to be new. All corruption will be gone. All the curse will be gone. There'll be no sickness and disease. And we'll actually live on earth and have access to heaven as if, you know, when you look up and see the full moon, you'll see the heavenly Jerusalem. Like last week, I showed you that picture. It'll, it'll be right there. And you'll be able to go back and forth like Jesus in the, in the resurrected body in a moment with a thought. You're there. You're just, beam me up, Scotty. You're there. Boom, boom, boom. You're anywhere. It's going to be awesome, guys. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be glorious. I just want you to get excited about your future. See, none of us know how much longer we have here on earth. 
But we know what we need to be about doing, be about our Father's business. So we need to be about our Father's business because so, there are eternal rewards, and it's going to make a, a vast difference. People say, oh, I just want to get to heaven by the skin of my teeth. As long as I get in, I'll be okay. No, you don't really understand how the kingdom operates. No, there's things for you to do in heaven. There's opportunities for you in heaven. There's, there's all kinds of things that it's critical how you live your life here. It's critical how you treat your wife. It's critical how you treat your children. It's critical how you treat brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's critical to God. God watches all of that. He watches all of that. He's judging it. And the all-seeing, all-knowing eye of God knows the motivations of our heart. Sometimes we don't even know. We can be deceived. But God knows every intention of my heart. The times it's been a good And sometimes it's just been selfish. God knows it. And so living in light of eternity means you live differently now. You have inside information most of the world doesn't have. Or if they have it, they don't believe it. So this should cause you to live differently. A new heaven and a new earth will begin. And all of our eternity is there. That's awesome, guys. It's going to be awesome. You know, when you move to the villages, many people take a tour. They, get, they, get, they come down here, and the villages takes you on a tour, and they go around and show you all the nice places, and it's just a wonderful place to live. And people decide, usually by taking that tour, whether or not they want to live here or not. And at the end of the tour, they sometimes make a decision. Yeah, I'm going to buy a house. And many folks have bought a house like, boom, just like that. That fast went back and sold their property and... And they're here. How many of you that you went on the tour? Raise your hand. See? It worked. (laughs) Today what I've done is given you a tour of the future. How many of you getting excited now about your future? (laughs) Yeah. Some of you didn't raise your hands. I don't know where you want to go, but I mean, it's, you really want to go here. It's going to be, I cannot describe it. I've never preached a series on heaven before. And I often wondered at, at uh, the year 2023, 20, which I said is a year of completion. I said, God, does this mean I'm done? I mean, going to heaven is going to be my last series. And there, I'm going to walk right on up them stairs and, Bye, y'all. See you soon. Going to be great. Well, I have a feeling I got more assignments to do yet. And there's more people to be saved. But uh, if that day should come, it's okay. Praise God. And we should live that way. You want to live ready. Because you, you don't know your day or your hour. And uh, again, today I want to do what we did last week. I want to ask our intercessors to come up and stand up here with me, and our altar, altar workers come up here and stand with me. We did something a little different than we normally do. And for the sake of time, too, I want to do this. Um, I want to uh, pray for you, and if you have any prayer need, number one, if you've never been saved, been born again, you're not sure, then we need to talk to you and just get that settled today. There's no, no reason to live with fear and doubt. If you need healing in your body, this is a healing church. We believe that the same God who died on the cross provided healing for our bodies. And we want, we want to see you let believers lay hands on them, on you, and be healed. We've seen cancers heal. We've seen all kinds of miracles, signs, and wonders here.
And uh, it's really, be it unto you according to your faith. Just be open to that. And uh, if you're being oppressed by the devil in any way, tormented, and you'll know if you are, uh, you know, you can be free from that. All it takes is the authority of a believer to cast that out and bind the enemy. And we know how to do that here because God's been gracious to give us teaching and experience. So we're here to help you. So I'm going to uh, ask you to stand. We're going to pray for you. And we're going to dismiss you. And uh, after I dismiss you, if you need prayer for anything, I want you to sit back down, let people leave around you, make a way for them. And then these intercessors, prayer warriors have been praying. They're going to wait for a minute and God's going to highlight them who they need to go to. Maybe a word of knowledge, maybe a prophecy, maybe a prayer. And you can share with them if you like. You don't have to. You can just say, I need prayer. They'll pray for you. But that's how we'll do it here again today, this week. So let's bow your head and close your eyes and just think about the Lord, how good he is. How good he's been to you. He's just awesome. He's just awesome. Now, Lord, you, you see our hearts. I'm so glad you do. You, you, see, you see the trouble. You see the turmoil. You see the unrest. You see the anxiety. You see the fear. You see there's just so many things that are just rustling around inside us, like wind blowing uh, some paper around on a blustery day. That's what I see in my mind right now. People's minds are going 90 miles an hour. They need to slow down. And I pray that this will be a moment that they just let you settle them. Now you ask the Lord this question. God, is, do you want me to stay here and receive prayer for somebody? Just yes or no, God. Do you want me to stay here and receive prayer from somebody? Yes or no? Just ask God. You ask God that. You ask God. You know, sometimes your soul is so troubled by stuff you can't hear God. If nothing else, you just need to sit down and be silent for a while. And as you settle, God will speak to you. If somebody comes up and prays with you, that's good. But he brought you here today to love on you and to help you. So God, I trust your people to hear your voice and let you minister your love to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. Give you his peace. You go out and make a difference in this world that desperately needs what you have. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Those of you who need prayer, just stay seated. Intercessors will come to you in just a moment. Okay? Let the folks...
exit, and then we'll pray.